ARE Study Guide Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ARE Study Guide Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the bidding and procurement phase. This is going to be geared towards how it relates to our construction and evaluation exam. The AIA document used for this phase is A701, Instructions to Bidders. This document is listed as one of the reference materials for the CE exam, CE standing for Construction and Evaluation. So I think it's important that we take a quick look at what this document entails. The first thing the document says is that A701 is intended to be used with G612, Owner's Instructions to the Architect. We are not going to look at that, but I think it's important with all these documents. In your own practice, when you see any contract, look for things like that that say this document goes along with another document because that means that you should also be reading and understanding that document as well. So again, A701 is the instructions to bidders, and it says that it is intended to be used with G612. Actually, before we dive into this, let me uh, do a quick clarification about something I said before that I have since found is not true. This won't actually impact your test, but it will impact your perception and your professional practice. So... I have previously said in an episode that I love the AIA contract documents and I think we should leave them in their purest form uh, as much as possible for all of our projects. I have since spoken to a couple architects and a contractor, all on different occasions, different projects, and unanimously I've been told that these documents never get used in their pure form. Uh, The architects agree that Yes, in an ideal world, these documents are great for us, but no savvy owner or contractor is going to allow them to be used in their uh, perfect form, as is. And then from the contractor's perspective, they felt like they didn't have enough protection. And so they told me that there's a lot of back and forth between the lawyers, but negotiating, I guess, the terms of these contracts, and there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to contracts. An architect I spoke to pretty much said they draft a new contract for each project, like they start with their base template that they use in their firm, but they understand the owner, and based on the amount of risk they're assuming with the project, um, can really tone down the contract and I guess all in all I was a little disappointed because like I said in my previous episode I think they're great and I see how people could think that there's too much protection for the architect I still don't agree with that but the consensus is that yeah the AIA documents overprotect the architect and most people other than architects don't really like using them so that's a bummer So if anyone's looking for a potential untapped market, maybe making a new version of contract documents that people will actually use, that sounds like a really great business. 
and everyone will be forever indebted to you. Sorry for the digression. Let's jump back in to the content that is A701 instruction to submitters. So it's going to start with filling in the project information, the owner's contact information, and the architect's contact information. In this contract document, they have a list of terms with definitions. Those terms include bidding documents. The bidding documents are bid advertisements, invitations to bid, instructions to bidder, and the bid form. So those elements that only relate to the bidding process do not become part of our contract documents. Addenda. Addenda are written or graphic information released by the architect before the bids are received that modify the bidding documents. So for contractors to bid, they are given a set of the bidding documents. This includes the drawings, the specs, the bid form, the instructions to bidders. All of that is sent to the contractors. But what if the owner changes their mind about something while the contractors have the documents? They want to change the tile in a bathroom. Well, you should tell the contractors as soon as possible so their bids accurately reflect that change. So you do so in the form of an addenda. Again, an addenda can be written or graphic information that is released by the architect before the bids are received. Addenda modifies the bidding documents. Bid. So a bid is the contractor's proposal to complete the work. So a bid is not like at an auction, you put in a bid. It's kind of the opposite of the auction, right? Like instead of the highest price wins, the lowest price wins. Base bid. Is the cost to complete the work excluding alternates. So alternates may increase, lower, or not affect the base bid, but they're options, so to speak. On the bid, an alternate will be listed as a cost to do a specific portion of the work. Unit price. Is the cost to do a specific portion of the work based on the cost per unit. This is typically used in situations when the full quantity or the full scope for that part isn't known. So unit price is when you give a cost in terms of the cost per quantity. Let's say you have a brick wall and you don't know the size of the wall for some reason. So you could say that your unit price for that brick wall is $5 per brick. So then however many bricks it ends up being, the contractor's total cost, they say they'll do it for five times however many bricks it ends up being. Sub-bidder? Is someone who provides a bid to the bidder to complete a portion of the work or supply a portion of the material or labor. So then there's a section called bidder's representations that basically says if the bidder submits the bid, they are saying that they've done the following things, which include that they have read and understood all of the bidding documents, visited the site. This is important. So what if a contractor submitted a bid for a million dollars and then they get the project and you have your first site visit with them? And then they say, I had no idea that the road to get here 
was full of potholes. It's so narrow. It's going to be so hard to get my materials here. This is going to cost a lot more money for me because I'm going to have to use a helicopter or something to get materials to the site. They can't increase their bid for that reason because when they submitted, part of what they said was that by submitting that they have visited the site and became generally familiar with the site conditions. So they are responsible for knowing things like that before they put in the price. So they are locked in to those site conditions. On the other hand, if you were to start excavating and discover something like a hazardous material or something like an obstacle in the way, something like a big boulder that for some reason, like say you're adding a basement a few levels down and there's rocks that are just going to need explosives to break up or something. I don't know. That's different. There's no way that if you went to a site that you would know what's below the ground. So the contractor is not responsible for knowing things like that about the site, but just things that are really general. When you go there, you look around, you understand the general site conditions. They also become responsible for saying that they've read and understood the, all of the bidding documents. So again, um, if there's like an extra building, say there's like a small maintenance building or something, I don't know what it is, but something on the that's very clearly indicated in the bidding documents, it's on the site plan, there's drawings for it, they can't say, I didn't know about that because they are responsible for going through and really understanding the bidding documents. Bidding documents can only be issued to bidders, not the sub-bidders. In, in this document, they list the instructions for how bidding documents can be obtained. If a deposit is required for the bidding documents, it will be refunded within 10 days after the bids are due as long as the documents are returned in good condition. So for a small project, they might not care. For a large project, when your drawing set is 800 giant printed pages and you have multiple contractors bidding on this, that's a lot of printing costs. So those documents will be needed later so there's no reason for someone to take them to bid and then throw them away if they don't get the job. So what they do is they put down a deposit of whatever amount of money that basically just gives the contractor incentive to return the documents so that they can be reused after the bidding process. If the bidders are going through the documents and they notice any errors, they are responsible for notifying the architect of those errors. In general, this is a practice that is in all of the documents. You might not be responsible for someone else's work, but you're always responsible for speaking up and telling someone. If a contractor is going through the documents and something isn't clear to them, they can submit an RFI, a request for information, to the architect at least seven days before the bids are due. And then the architect will respond and clarify whatever it is that was hard to understand. And when they do so, they don't just tell that one contractor 
they release that information to all of the bidders so everyone can be on the same page about that clarification. Addendum are the only way that the bidding documents can be modified. Anything else is considered non-binding. So just because people are talking about making a change, that does not mean the contractor should input that change into their bid unless an addenda is released. Substitutions request. If the bidder wants to make a substitution request for a material or product, they must make the request at least 10 days before the bids are due. To request a substitution, the bidder must provide a reason, along with supporting documents about the substitution, including performance information, drawings, etc. If the architect approves the substitution, they will issue an addendum. Substitutions requests can only happen before the contract is signed, unless otherwise specified in the contract documents. So sometimes in our drawings, we write um, things like this material or approved equal. So you're basically allowing for a substitution to occur after the contract is signed when you write that or approved equal um, or things like material to be determined. But if a specific material is called out, the contractor can only request to change that material before the contract is signed. And that's just, again, in this contract. In real life, that might not work that way. But in this document, it says a substitutions request can only happen before the contract is signed. So let's say a cladding material for the building is called out on the drawings during the bidding. And a contractor knows of a material that looks just like that and performs the same way, except it's cheaper. So they put in a substitutions request to say, can we bid with this material instead? And if the architect approves it, they'll issue that addendum to all of the bidders. So if any of the other bidders want to spec that material in their bids so they can bring down their price, they can. Addenda must be issued at least four days before the bids are due. So a contractor has to submit a substitutions request 10 days before the bids are due and RFIs seven days before the bids are due. So then the architect has up until four days before the bids are due to issue any addenda. Another thing that the bidders are saying when they turn in their bids, they're saying that they've read all the addenda. It's That's just listed in this document. You, The contractor is responsible for making sure that they are current on, on all the addenda that was released. So all the bids are received. The owner and probably the architect together review the bids. And if a bidder is awarded the job, but then backs out of the job, the owner will retain the bid security. Because let's say the lowest bidder came in at a million, the next lowest bidder came in at 1.5 million. And that's likely because that lowest bidder didn't include something within their bid. So if they back out, there's a bid security that they put up that will help cover the cost of the owner. If the owner doesn't award the contract after a set number of days, 
bidders have the right to withdraw their bid. So in this document, the instructions to bidders A107, the owner will specify how many days they have to accept the bids. But say they drag their feet and weeks or months go by and maybe the contractors won a different project so they don't have the bandwidth anymore to take this project on or the cost of materials went up because it's been so long. Bidders have the right to withdraw their bids after a certain amount of days. So in this document, it will give you the specific day and time and the format bid is required to be received in. And if it is even one minute late, that bid cannot be received. I had a teacher who told me he had worked for months on this bid for a big project. He was a contractor and he worked for months on this bid. And, you know, up to the last minute, I think it was, I don't know if it was because the cost had changed on materials or because of an addenda, but something changed at the last minute and he had to, you know, in the four days before he's like working on it, working on it, working on it. And this bid was to be delivered in person at noon on whatever specific day, let's say it was a Wednesday and he gets there at like 1210 or like 1205 on that Wednesday and they wouldn't take his bid that he had spent months on. So all of that time lost his company, not only lost the money that they had to pay him for that, um, but they also lost the opportunity to get that job, which they could have won. And so when I was taking his class, he was the same way. He would not let us turn in anything one minute late because he learned that lesson the hard way and he wanted to teach it to us before we went out in the real world and it could adversely affect us in any sort of way. So yes, bids cannot be received a minute late. So if you ever do work for a contractor, know that and make sure you get in your bid early. Obviously knowing that addenda could be released up to four days beforehand, maybe wait to put it within that four days. So before that bid due date, so again, let's say it's Wednesday at noon, you're allowed to take your bid out and you can modify it or even just take it out for good anytime before that due date. Let's say you take your bid out and you increase your price and you put the bid back in. The amount of your first bid will always remain classified. No one will ever know your first bid amount. What if you turn in your bid, the bid due date passes, and then you realize you made a huge mistake, like... I, I don't know a good example for this one, but let's say you made a mistake and you tell the architect within two days, I made a mistake on my bid. I need to get my bid out of there. And the architect looks at the mistake and can understand how you made that error. It's reasonable. Like something wasn't totally clear and you didn't even realize it wasn't clear. You just misunderstood something. 
and if the architect agrees that's a reasonable error, within two days of the bid due date, the architect is allowed to help that contractor withdraw their bid. So for small private projects, or really any private project, uh, the process of reviewing the bids could just happen by having the owner and architect sit together and review the bids together. But for public projects, it is required that the bids will be open publicly and read aloud. So I think it's usually the architect that does this. Um, the architect will go up there, open the bid, and say the bid amount. They, I don't think they'll read the whole document, but they publicly share all of the bids so that the contractors can know how everything else came in. And that could be really important for a contractor to understand, like, let's say for a project, they came in at $15 million, and then they hear some people came in at $27 million, some people came in at ten. Or if everyone came in way over or way under, they can understand that something that they did was different, and then they can go internally and try to figure that out so that next time they can have a more accurate or competitive bid. And it also keeps everyone honest. So the owner can't just say, oh, you didn't win the project because your bid was higher, but you have like no evidence of that. So by reading publicly all of the bids, everyone is kept honest. The owner can reject any or all of the bids. So the owner, all the bids could come in and the owner could like maybe not be happy with the contractors that bid on the project and say, I don't want to work with any of you and just reject all of the bids. Or maybe they just don't want to work with some of the contractors the owner has the right to reject any or all of the bids. Just because people bid a project, the owner does not have to sign a contract with any of those bidders. The owner will select the bid that's in their best interest. Typically, that's going to be the lowest bid from a responsible bidder. After the bidding process and the owner selects the contractor, the contractor who is awarded must submit their qualification statement and the contractor may request the owner's financial information to make sure that they are capable of funding the project. The contractor will give the architect and owner a breakdown of the work they're going to perform themselves, as well as a list of the subcontractors they will use. Both the architect and owner have the right to reasonably refuse any of the chosen subcontractors. Once the subcontractors have been chosen, they cannot be changed without approval from the owner and architect. So let's say the contractor's awarded the job and they say, here's my tile subcontractor, my drywall subcontractor, my electrical subcontractor. Here's all the guys that I'm going to work with. And the owner and architect, uh, maybe they've worked with the electrical guy before and they like, no, he's no good. You can't use him. And then at the end of this document, it's going to list all of the bond requirements. So what kind of bonds is the contractor required to carry for this project? And again, bonds are, they're not insurance, but they basically act like insurance. Insurance and bonds are different things. Um, 
just to recap, insurance is like workman's comp, general liability, automotive. Those things are insurance. Bonds, in this sense, are basically project insurance that the contractor will be required to carry. So in this document, it will list all of the bonds that the contractor must get to secure the job. And then at the end, there is a list of the contract documents listing everything that the contractor should review before submitting their bid. So all the drawings, the specs, anything else that's included with the contract documents will be listed here just to make sure that the contractor sees everything before they submit their bid. All right, in general, that is a rundown of the bidding and procurement process. In the next episode, we are going to talk about the process for the contractor's application for payment and certificates of payment. See you on the other side.